All right. Now that more than half of us are gone, uh, it's, it's great how uh, we've been like looking at our reports each week, and I think like half of our congregation is kids. So it's fun to have them in here at least for half of the service, and then, you know, there's just half of us left. Anyways, uh, I'm going to pray for you, pray for us, and, uh, and we're going to jump in. Father, I thank you for this day, and we just thank you for this time together. Um, Lord, we're thankful for Jesus, and we're just praying, Lord, that um, over the next few minutes and and even just over this entire service and our time together this morning, just make Jesus known to us. Like, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we would would know your great love for us, that we would know that we can trust you thoroughly, that we can um, can come to you, uh, and, and we can just let you have your way with us, God. And I'm praying that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would even be at work in us this morning to change us. Uh, and to transform us more and more into your likeness for our own good and for your glory. Help each one of us hear what you have for us. Help each one of us uh, 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 know Jesus this morning. Um, Just say what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Just so you know what's kind of coming up over the next few weeks. um, In June, we're going to be jumping into uh, the book of Ecclesiastes for the summer. Uh, that's something I'm really excited about and looking forward to getting into. But for these few weeks in May, uh, we're just kind of looking at uh, this statement. It's what I call our one-liner. Uh, if, if anybody would ask me, like, what Redemption Church is about, uh, this is kind of the quick statement that I'd want to respond with. And it goes like this. You've probably heard it before. You've probably heard it last week if you were here. It says, we know that Jesus has often been misrepresented, so we're striving to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures, by loving the way that Jesus loves, by serving the city for the good of all, and by inviting everybody into the family of God. Now, we're not, we're not there yet, right? We won't get all the way there probably on this side of heaven, but this is what we want to ring true of us at Redemption Church. So we're striving together towards that end, and we believe that God is shaping us in that way. So last week, we talked about what we mean by the real Jesus, Uh, and then next week, Reggie's going to share a little bit about those actions of loving and serving and inviting uh, everybody into the family of God. And this week, we're just going to sit for a moment with that honest about our failures bit of the statement. Why is that in there? What do we mean by that? Now, I get, I get that being honest about our failures, it may not be too attractive to us. It may, not be, uh, it may not strike us as the best plan. It can kind of feel uncomfortable. It probably feels a little bit risky, and it may be hard to see how it can get us anywhere or how it can uh, end well for us. But that's kind of the way the gospel, like the good news of Jesus, that's kind of the way it goes. It doesn't feel quite right at first glance. It's not what we, how we would do things. Good news to those who were there in Jesus' day, according to their own reasoning and according to their own feelings, would likely um, be looking for a God-sent king, a God-sent leader who would rise up, who would take power from Rome, and who would then raise up the oppressed and the poor, or some vision like that. That would be good news. It would be hard to understand how it could be good news that the promised king was to be brutally executed. That doesn't seem quite right. 
And God's ways are often like that. They just feel upside down to us. But the good news has this way of subverting our reason and our feelings, and it proves to be radically better than we could have ever imagined. Being honest about our failures, that's our language around here, but it's actually pretty basic, right? It's, it's foundational to our faith. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. First he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that all of us have failed. All of us have fallen short. This is a foundational confession in the church. We have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. But Paul continues in that same verse, Romans 3.23, and he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So no matter like, how uncomfortable it is, the fact is that we have failed. We have fallen short. But the best news is that we haven't been left in our failures. Jesus came for us right where we are and as we are. And so we don't have to hide. Jesus didn't come to like rub our nose in our failures. That's, that's not at all Jesus. Rather, Jesus has come for us. And if we will trust him, this is what I want us to get this morning. He wants to do something radical with our failures. If you follow me over to John, it's chapter 1, verses 5 through 13. I'm going to read through this. You can follow Along with me, it'll be on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read this. First John, I mean, just John, sorry, Gospel John 1, 5 through 13. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all people might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear the witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love those verses. Like, I, I love the whole first chapter of John. It's just really exciting to me. It's so good. But there's one difficulty that I think arises from this passage, maybe more, um, but one particularly, and it's this idea that the light, which is Jesus, gives light to everyone, but also it says that he's the light which some do not receive. Only some receive him, and they, only some become children of God. So the question is, is what is John getting at when he talks about the light? Is Jesus, if Jesus is the light, shouldn't everybody be able to see him clearly? And what does he mean when he says that he gives light to everyone, but some of them don't receive him? Here's a couple things we know about light. We've actually talked about this a few times before. Kate actually shared with us a few years ago some of this. Uh, I've shared it before also. Uh, what do we know about light? We know that light travels at a speed of, I have notes, this is all Google. If I get it wrong, it's Google's fault. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second, pretty fast, right? That's known as the speed of light because it's the speed of light. 
Sorry. <laughs> and at that speed, 186,000 miles per second, at that speed, it takes just eight minutes and 20 seconds for light to leave the sun and get to us here on earth, which is 93, mile, 93 million miles. So in eight minutes and 20 seconds, light travels 93 million miles. Like I said, if I'm wrong, it's Google. But at the same speed, it can take millions of years for light to travel from another galaxy to our eyes here on Earth, right? And so the really cool thing is that in all that time and in all those years and in all that traveling, light doesn't age, right? It doesn't change. It's true to what it always was. So when the light reaches our eyes, millions of years after it's left where it was, it's the same as it was when it left its place of origin. Light never changes. John often refers to God as light. And I don't think John had all these figures available to him when he wrote the Gospels. But don't you think it's pretty cool? Like, light never changes. And God is never changing. And Jesus is the light of the world. What else do we know about light? It does something when it enters into a dark space, right? It lights it up. When light enters a dark space, it lights it up. The light doesn't change, but it changes what it shines on. It overcomes the darkness. It makes everything visible. It exposes everything for what it really is. So when John refers to Jesus as coming into the world, as the light coming into the world, given to everyone, what's he getting at? Well, we know what light does. It doesn't change but it changes its surroundings. It overcomes darkness. It makes everything visible. It exposes everything. And what John is really getting at, I think, is that the light, who is Jesus, who's coming into the world, is the ultimate unchanging truth. He's the ultimate reality. He's from eternity. He's from the beginning. He made everything, and he defined everything that exists. He is our life. And so the truth of who we are and why we exist and how we should live, it comes from him. And so when things are seen in the light of Jesus, everything can be seen for what it really is. Everyone is exposed for who they really are in the light of Christ. And when we're exposed, it's mighty hard, I think. It's actually impossible to look good next to the whole truth. It's impossible to like stand next to perfection and go and have our imperfections go unseen, right? And felt. And this is actually what makes it hard to receive Jesus, who is the light. This is why John says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. But then he also says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's not that he can't be seen or that he can't be understood by everyone. And it isn't that he isn't given to everyone. It's that we may not like what exposure feels like. We may be scared to be seen. Maybe we're too scared to come out of hiding. Maybe we're too scared to receive him. The truth is that standing before Jesus, who is God and who is holy and is utterly perfect, we're exposed for who we really are. And we can't hide our sin and be saved from sin. That doesn't even make sense. But that's what some of us want to try to do, right? We may want Jesus, 
But maybe we try to get them without ever acknowledging our personal failures or our sin. Maybe some are, you know, scared to death of death. And so they, they want some assurance of heaven or something good in the afterlife. And so they want Jesus. Or maybe you're looking for purpose, or maybe you're looking to uh, feel valued, or maybe you're looking to know unconditional love, but pride gets in the way. Like you want to be seen, but you can't let yourself be seen the way you actually are. And maybe you don't even realize it. Perhaps some are blind to the fact that you're still hiding from Jesus. Or maybe it just seems too good to be true. And when you really think about it, it just feels wrong to have to, like, confess all our stuff in order to get to Jesus. Shouldn't Jesus just love us enough to sweep all that stuff away so that we don't have to have to see it or deal with it again? But I think the answer is, and we'll get to it a little bit more, is that Jesus loves you more than that. I get that exposure seems scary. Being honest about our failures seems scary. Like, if you've ever been in a dark uh, room for a long time, maybe like a movie theater or maybe like a, ca- a cave or something, you know what it kind of feels like to step out into the bright light and how it kind of hurts your eyes. It's uncomfortable at first. And the truth is, is that there's some discomfort involved when receiving the light of Jesus and letting him expose the truth of idolatry and the sin that you and I carry. There's some discomfort in exposing all the things that aren't good in you even if it's just exposing the truth to God and to yourself. It's absolutely uncomfortable. But I want us to remember who we're talking about. It's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus who's like the creator of the world, and, and he's God, and he's the truth, and he's holy, and he's utterly perfect, and he's eternal, and he's this great judge. But it's also the Jesus that we just talked about last week, who came and ministered to the woman at the well who had been with many husbands. It's the Jesus who came to spend time and to dine with Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he came to be with others who weren't known to be righteous in any other way. I mean, we need to see who Jesus really is. He's the Jesus who John, the, the Jesus who John is writing about is the Jesus who stepped into the world. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us and he came to be with us. Later in this first chapter of John, John the Baptist proclaims him to be uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. Jesus came, and not only for the good and the righteous people who have nothing to hide. First of all, those people don't even exist. That's not real, right? Remember, all have fallen short of the glory of God. If these people existed who were righteous and good and had nothing to hide, they would have no need of a Savior. Jesus came for us all. Jesus came for you. So yes, there's, there's discomfort, but we should also find that he can be trusted. He's proven that he can be trusted. But there's still more to this. In, in this passage in John, it's a passage about light, uh, pushing back the darkness, coming into the world for everyone. Like there's an evangelistic element to this passage, isn't there? 1 Peter 2.9 states the evangelistic element well, I think. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Like we are called out of darkness and into the light 
in order to proclaim his excellencies. That is, we are saved in order to make Jesus known. I think that's the stuff we often want to jump right into, right? Like, what do we do in order to accomplish the mission? That's what we've been saved for. That's what we've been called for. Some of that stuff is in our one-liner. It's good, great stuff, and we're going to get to that more next week. But look, like, everywhere, everywhere we go in Scripture, including this passage in John and this passage in 1 Peter, like, I'm just confronted with this idea that actually... The way we best make Jesus known isn't by something that we necessarily go and do, but it's by our first being honest with God and being honest with ourselves and being honest with others. See, the good news of Jesus makes it safe to like come out of hiding and to confess our sins and to be honest about our failures because he hasn't just said that he loves us. Jesus demonstrated his great love for us, right? He gave his life on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven. But he doesn't only want to forgive your sins and then like sweep them away. He also wants to redeem your failures and to use them. He wants your whole life to reflect your created purpose. Our created purpose is uh, to bear his image in all the earth, to make him known in all the earth. And he wants your whole life to do that. He doesn't just want the like from here on out to be saved. We can't box Jesus in like that. Like he's doing far more than we can imagine. He wants our past to be redeemed also. So he wants to to make even our failures into something new and life-giving for you and for others and for the world. It's like that story of Zacchaeus I already mentioned that we talked about last week. The love of Jesus transformed Zacchaeus like in a moment. He was immediately honest about his own sin with Jesus and then he pledged to restore whatever he had defrauded others of fourfold. And then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. I think that this is what Jesus loves to do. He loves to see this happen. He doesn't just forgive it and sweep it away so we don't have to deal with our sins and failures anymore. He redeems it. It's bigger, right? He redeems it, and he turns it into a blessing for us, and then he uses even our failures to be a blessing for the world. This is the radical thing that I think God wants to do in us. This is why it's in this statement. He came to die for you and to redeem like the most despicable, unappealing parts of us and to bring you and I and our failures into his making all things new work. So he calls us to be honest about our failures and he wants us to trust that Jesus will not only forgive us but that he will redeem us and ultimately be exalted even in our shortcomings. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not that we have been righteous, right? But that living in the light, we're being constantly transformed by the light. We're being made righteous. And while all that is for us, and it's definitely for our good, it's also evangelistic. It's also for others. Because this is where his loving kindness and his redemptive work is put on full display for everybody to see. It's not in our continuing to hide. It's in our freedom to come out of hiding because there's a whole world trying to dodge exposure. 
They're buried in guilt and shame. And hiding hurts. Hiding feels like we're dying. I mean, I'm speaking from experience. Hiding hurts. It feels like we're dying. And I think salvation has a lot to do with finally feeling like we can come out and we can be seen. Not just be like let off the hook or having the consequences for our actions wiped away. We want more than that. We want to be deeply known. We want to be seen for who we are and who he's made us. We want to know who we could be. We want to be forgiven and to be valued and greatly loved enough to be redeemed like through and through. We need to be disciplined and shaped by a loving father into the child of God that he created us to be. So if you, like me, want to see people come to know Jesus because of this church, if we would love and we would serve and we would invite others into the family of God and to know the real Jesus, if we would do all that effectively so they want to know him, I believe that we have to be people who aren't just talking about the light, but who are living in the light. We have to be living exposed. We have to like, deliberately trust him with all our failures and mistakes and weaknesses and shortcomings. We have to be uh, looking for him to make himself look good through us, not looking to use him to make ourselves look good. We're striving together to make the real Jesus known by being honest about our failures and loving the way that he loves, serving the city for the good of all, and inviting everybody into the family of God. Perhaps that like honest about our failures bit is like our least favorite part of the statement. But you know, I think it's the stickiest part of the statement. I think it's the part that could make us the most uncomfortable, but maybe at the same time it's the part that draws us in. I mean, every other part of the thing, it sounds good, it sounds great, but I'm not sure how genuinely we could act out the rest of that statement if we can't be honest about our failures. You and I, we know that there are things about us that aren't good. Places where we have failed, places where we fall short, things that we're not proud of. And we're all afraid of being exposed. But I think it's a a little odd that we're like that, right? Because it's true of every single one of us. We're not good. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. But we're all hiding it and trying to present only the things that we think are the most appealing about ourselves and to others and to God. And I understand the tension of that. I know the feeling uh, that there's something major to lose if all the hidden stuff gets exposed. But I just want us to do something this morning together, and that's I just want us to try and I just want them to try. And this is the invitation that I just often feel from the Lord. It's just, hey, just try my way. Just try it. Just try it out and see. So as we enter into a time of response this morning, uh, I want to invite you into a moment of prayerful self-reflection. If you're comfortable with it, just go ahead and close your eyes. I just want, to take, I just want you to take a moment. Uh, to name something that you know that you keep hidden. Like just consider what you don't want others to see or you don't want to talk to God about or you don't want to deal with. Maybe it's some guilt 
Maybe it's some shame. Maybe it's some fear that you don't want exposed. Just try him. Just acknowledge it and take a moment and name it. You probably already know what it is. Maybe there's several things. You could just pick one this morning. It could be something hurtful from your past, some sin that you can't escape from, some addiction. Just ask yourself, what do you ignore? What do you hide from God and others and maybe even from yourself? I'm going to give us a moment longer, and I want you to use just this next moment to to pray. Maybe it's just something to this effect. Maybe you've named this thing. God, I believe you're invited. You've invited me to be honest with you. I believe that I can trust you. I know my tendency is to hide this thing, but, but I think you want me to let it be exposed before you. I believe you want to redeem even this thing, and I'm choosing to believe that your way is better than mine. Forgive me. Would you take this and use it for your glory? Even this and use it for your glory. Hear this promise from Scripture. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? We're going to continue in a time of response, and, and we're going to do what we do each week together. The band will come, and they'll lead us in a time of song and, and worship. We're going to come, and we're going to take Uh, communion together and uh, as you come you can uh, also drop your giving in the basket in the back or you can give online we we encourage you every week however you give don't forget that you're giving and don't ignore giving it's a time where we remember that God is our provider that he has given us everything that he is our sustainer and we offer back to him just a piece in recognition of who he is and in worship of his his great ability And then we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And communion, like we do each week, we'll come and we'll take the bread and we can dip it in the wine or the juice. The bread is Jesus' body that was given for us. The wine, the juice, is the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And when we do this, this is a reminder that we really can be honest about our failures. This happened. His body and his blood was given for us to forgive us 
because all have fallen short of the glory of God, but he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And so we can be honest with him about our failures. He's proven that he's trustworthy, and he's proven that he wants to do even more, and he does even more. He's made us one family together in and through Jesus Christ, and he continues to make us more and more like him and bring people in and make himself known through us. And so we invite you to come and to remember Jesus, our Lord and Savior, together this morning and to proclaim him to one another in this action. If you're a Christian, we invite you to come do that, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into that time. Our Father, I just pray as we kind of move into this practice of of taking communion, of taking your, your body and your blood that was given for us, that it serves as a reminder of like who the real Jesus is. It's a reminder that there's nothing for us to be scared of. There's no reason to cower from the light, to cower from exposure. You know us through and through. You knew us through and through from the foundations of the earth. You've always known us just as we are. And you stepped down and you came for us to save us and to redeem us, knowing us exactly as we were and as we are. So, Father, there's nothing for us to be scared of. And I just pray that you just help us to remember that. I pray that you help us to, uh, as we proclaim it to one another, that we would each hear it as you want us to hear that. For those of us who maybe we feel like, well, we've already we've already been saved. We've already come to know Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. That's true. Maybe take this and remember that we can. You're not done with us. You're continuing to redeem us. You're continuing to shape us. You're continuing to grow us up as your children to look more and more like you, to look like you created us to look. You're a good father. You're still doing work in us. And we can still trust you. And we can still show you every part of us. You're just not done with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name.